welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumseh-Squatman territory within the unceded traditional lands of Squatmanulu, and today's text, Wonder, is set in apparently in something called Upper Upper Manhattan, mm-hmm. which the author has said is really a transposition of Brooklyn into Upper Manhattan. Right. But I'm going with Upper Manhattan because that's where the school is, uh, and that is the traditional home of the Munsee Lenape, the Shkadikoki, and the Wapinger peoples. Um, Joe. Hmm. I am slightly nervous to talk about wonder today, I have to say. Yeah, I feel like this is a text that you and I have had more conversations about how do we want to approach it? What is the language we're going to use? How do we make sure that we don't offend people who like one or both of these texts? Because you and I do not, but we also Mm -hmm. recognize that we are coming at it from a very particular point of view. Yes, and I think that there are really important things to critique about the book and the film Mm -hmm. that I want us to be able to do without taking away from the fact that some people have really connected with this story and find representation in it that is important to them. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of what we're asking for here it kind of connects back to other conversations we've had in the own voices vein. Yes. I think it's going to be a bit of a tricky conversation today. But yeah, I, I want to foreground it by saying, like, we know that this book is really important to an awful lot of people. Mm-hmm. And also, we have some significant problems with how disability or disfigurement is handled in the text and the kinds of lines that the author's trying to draw around it. And ultimately, like, this is a book that is very much focused on how this character who is living with disabilities impacts the able-bodied people around him. And I think at its Mm -hmm. core, that is really what my problem is with this story. Right. And I'm also curious to know how many people ended up reading this on school curricula, or they Mm. picked it up at the recommendation of a friend, or they read it in a book club, and they don't fully know the genesis of how the author came to do it, or the fact that the film received some pretty heavy criticism for its casting decisions. And so... I think there's a lot of good intentions behind both the book and the film, but that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that it is free from criticism because I also still think it's doing some things quite badly. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So maybe I'll jump in with the plot and we can... We can take it from there, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so uh, Wonder by R.J. Palacio is the story of August Pullman. He goes by Augie. Augie has been homeschooled his whole life. He has a genetic condition that has left his face disfigured. R.J. Palacio does not name what Augie lives with in the book. After mm-hmm. the movie came out, uh, many people sort of concluded and R.J. Palacio went on to confirm that it's Treacher-Collins syndrome, which, you know, you can look up. It it sort of changes the placement on the face of the eyes and the ears. It tends to be connected with things like cleft palate and lip issues. So 
all his life, as I said, Augie's been homeschooled. And this year, at the beginning of grade five, he's going to go to uh, a private school with other kids for the mm. first time. And so the conflict at the start of the book is that Augie very much does not want to go. Um, and his parents are really encouraging him for a bunch of reasons. It's a moment when everybody will be new and his mom doesn't want to miss this sort of transitional time when he right. will be joining with lots of other new kids. And also she genuinely feels like she's come to the limit of what she can teach him at home and she wants him to be challenged. Augie's really smart, by the way, and that becomes yes. clear as he engages with the school community. Of course, when he arrives at school, he encounters quite a lot of bullying. He's right. bullied for his physical appearance in particular. Um, and although he does make friends, he's also not quite sure who he can trust and who he cannot trust. There's a scene that comes to a head where the kid who he thought was his friend, he overhears him talking about him, making fun of him. And so Augie sort of is always struggling with this dynamic of who he can reasonably trust and who he can't. Mm -hmm. The book is interested in moving us around different perspectives. So we don't always read from Augie's perspective. We also yes. have the book from Jack's perspective, from Charlotte's perspective, from pretty much everybody except the main school bully and the parents gets focalized. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the decision not to include Julian, the bully's voice, is a deliberate decision by Palacio. So we didn't want to give the interior voice to a bully, but it is a bit of an unusual decision to offer so many able-bodied voices or mm -hmm. non-disability voices in a text that is so primarily concerned with doing, I mean, I can't even say an authentic representation because, of course, the background of this book, which we haven't discussed and we'll get to in a moment, but yeah, I found it a little bit challenging to get into that because just when I was settling in with Augie's voice, then we have to jump around and get everything reframed through somebody else. I actually think this question of disability is something that the text really doesn't know how to handle effectively. One of the choices that is made is that as a means of quote-unquote defending Augie, Adults often make the point that Augie is not disabled or does not have special needs, that he mm -hmm. is like, quote unquote, normal in his functioning. And that's, that's purely through the basis of his intellect. Yes. So he is not mentally disabled. In fact, he, as you said, he's intellectually quite gifted. And yet, you and I both agree that it kind of does a disservice because it's not just, oh, his face is different. He does, in fact, suffer from a disability. Yes, he does. He wears hearing aids. He he struggles with uh, making himself understood. Like these are important aspects of his character. They get really profoundly minimized by the mm -hmm. text itself. Well, it's that desire to make everything normal, right? Yes. Like you you shouldn't discriminate against him because he is in fact normal aside from the look of his face. But that's not that's not actually it. Well, and it's it's an obsession with normal in a book that's supposed to be about embracing difference that I find mm -hmm. a real tension that it can't overcome. And, right. and this comes back to this jumping around of perspectives because we are so primarily interested in how knowing Augie changes for the better the lives of the able-bodied people around mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. So we spend time where 
Jack learns to be a better friend because he knows Augie via his sister. Her perspective is all about sort of coming to terms with living life very much in Augie's shadow, even though she's the older sibling. Mm -hmm. We meet Via's new boyfriend. It's very much, you know, we're supposed to love him because he's not thrown off by Augie's appearance. Oh my gosh, I could not. I, I <laughs> As soon as I got to that section of the book, I just thought, what are we doing here? What is going on? So I'm not going to go through all of the plot points that we get through those perspectives, but suffice it to say, there's a bunch of stuff, including the dog dies, various other <laughs> things happen. Um, the culmination of the novel is a trip to a nature reserve where Augie and his friends, are, well, Augie and his friend Singular are attacked by some kids from another school who attack Augie for his looks, both verbally and physically. Mm -hmm. um, but what happens is the other kids who have been kind of on the bully side of this ongoing school battle, they come to Augie's defense. And right. so everyone becomes friends. And at the end of the year, Augie is awarded the Henry Ward Beecher Medal for being notable or exemplary in certain areas throughout the school year, which is both a direct quote and utterly meaningless. Effectively, mm -hmm. Augie is awarded this medal because he has improved the lives of so many other people. Again, yes. underscoring this obsession that the book has with how Augie makes the lives of able-bodied people better. Mm -hmm. And then the book is over. So I I didn't enjoy this book. I found it incredibly challenging to get through. I think you and I may have used the words inspiration porn several mm -hmm. times. And we can unpack that. And we're going to try to be fair, but I'm not going to be generous with this book. I will say one of the things that I truly appreciated is that when Augie does win the medal, he says, I guess, thanks, I'll take it. Like, I'm really <laughs> just living my life. But sure, if you want to give me an award, I will accept it. And I thought that that was a genuine spark of, okay, good. I'm glad the book acknowledges that he is not a wonder simply mm -hmm. for existing, because that is disrespectful to people who are not, quote unquote, normal. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I really struggled with with this book is not just this aim to normalize disability or people who are like, quote unquote, everyone else, but also the idea that you can overcome anything with kindness. Mm -hmm. I have more to say about that when we get to the film, because the film really leans into that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is that there are lessons here that are actually more interesting than the kindness lesson. Like, one of the things that Via, in her focalization, is really desperate to get Augie to see is that the way Augie has been treated by their parents has made him really self-centered. <laughs> like, yes, Augie doesn't recognize the world around him. He doesn't see that Via is having these intense growing pains at her new school and her best mm -hmm. friends no longer come over. Augie has not noticed. No. Augie hasn't noticed that the dog is sick and dying. Like, mm -hmm. there's all these things that, you know, Augie's focus has been inward because the whole family's focus has been on Augie. And the Via chapters are this interesting place to unpack that. But ironically, that all gets sidelined because everything Via does gets sidelined in the text. Mm -hmm. um, and it's unfortunate because it's in those moments that we can see some really interesting complexity being teased at that I think would have given Augie more depth and the opportunity to actually be human, right? He's so busy being this lesson for everyone around him in the book mm -hmm. that he doesn't actually get to be a person. 
Okay, I am so, so happy that you said that because one of the struggles that I had early on in the book, which are primarily dominated by Augie's perspective, is I kept coming up against this wall of, I don't actually like Augie. And it was because he is so self-centered and he's so narcissist. And also because everything that he experiences is about his disability. Mm -hmm. It got to be almost cumbersome because I didn't, I didn't ever come to consider him as a real person. He Mm -hmm. just felt like he was a walking lesson, but even he himself feels that way because everything is about how people treat him, about how they bully him. And I'm not going to pretend that that's not the case when you are othered, right? Like it Mm -hmm. is an overwhelming part of who you identify as. But it was almost a chore. And I really struggled with, okay, but this is a character I'm meant to like, and I'm meant to Mm -hmm. try to, to understand and so on. And even though I didn't like shifting the perspectives, I really came to appreciate the via section because of what you just elaborated on. It felt like it shed insight into Augie and why I was struggling to connect with him emotionally. But also, I think Via is the most interesting character in this book. <laughs> yeah, she really is. She really is because she is one of the few characters who is allowed negative thoughts. <laughs> Right. right, like the book is so obsessed with the power of positivity mm. that the very real struggles that Via experiences and the guilt that she feels as a result of the struggles, yes, that is what makes her character so compelling because she feels the most relatable to me. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I I think that that is a real disservice in the book because if the most relatable character is sort of the able-bodied family member of the disabled character, I feel like that means the book is doing something... Wrong. Wrong. Or at (laughs) least it's doing a disservice to its supposed message. So, Brenna, can we take a step back from talking about the plot in these characters to address the elephant in the room about the genesis of this story? Because I really do think it informs everything. I agree. So, RJ Palacio tells the story of why she wrote Wonder. And it's not a secret. Um, It's Mm -mm. in the acknowledgments in sort of veiled terms at the end of the book. Um, And it's something she's talked about at length in interviews. But I think that it is really missed in the larger critical discourse. It's something, by the way, that I've noticed that disabled and disfigured critics Mm -hmm. pick up on and write about and challenge. But um, mainstream and able-bodied critics do not seem to notice. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... R.J. Palazzo was out for ice cream with her children, and there was a girl with a severe facial disfigurement at the table next to them, and her son started to cry. And instead of, you know, dealing with it in a, in a different kind of way, um, she whisked her children away from the situation. Mm-hmm. And Palazzo talks about being sort of consumed by how she handled the situation poorly, right? That that was the right. wrong lesson to send to her kids. And so it's it's not like she's like, and I was great, and that's why I wrote this story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, it's, that, it's that what she took from that was that she had the capacity to write this story from the perspective of someone who her family, like, really othered, for mm-hmm. lack of a better word. So that's the genesis, right? And she... Yeah. She talks about, um, you know, wanting to kind of reframe or rewrite that interaction. And that's where the story of wonder came from. And let's be 
clear, Mm -hmm. Palacio has turned wonder into a heck of a little empire, right? right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's really important to note. Not only are there, I think, five books in total now, also, obviously, this film, but there's another film coming Mm -hmm. as well. But there's also, like, you can get calendars, you can get Mm -hmm. journals, you can get toys. There's all kinds of sort of swag. Oh, yeah. And um, I feel really uncomfortable with an able-bodied person who is not living with a disfigurement. Capitalizing? Capitalizing on this experience that she had. And and I know that there is an argument to be made here. And I want to gesture to a few critics that Joe and I read, and, and I'm sure Joe will include the notes. So Mike Moody, writing on disability in Kidlet, was a really important one. Um, Ariel Henley wrote a piece for Teen Vogue, What Wonder Gets Wrong About Disfigurement and Craniofacial Disorders. Carly Finley has written a lengthy post about um, Wonder, both the book and the film. These were really helpful, informative pieces. And I think that, you know, the thing I keep coming back to is, how would that little girl in the ice cream parlor have written the story mm-hmm. of Wonder? That's actually what I want to know, you know? Yeah, and you cued it off the top that we have had a lot of conversations in the past on the podcast about own voices narratives, and I have pushed back against the idea that people cannot write from outside of their own experiences. Because the reality is, is like, in the case of Wonder, you know, it has received a very warm reception, including from many disability activists and people who are suffering from facial disfigurements. They have said there has been a groundswell of support. They have noticed changes in the real world as a result of this book's popularity. So we're not trying to diminish that or say like, oh, well, Palacio never should have written this book. It should have only been some own voices narrative. But The reality is, is not just that she has then managed to capitalize on this and, as you said, make herself quite a a tidy little empire. But, you know, if you ask people, oh, well, what's a book that people know on this particular subject? No one knows own voices, narratives. Mm -hmm. People Mm -hmm. no wonder. And you're kind of like, okay, so this is not great because there are still issues with this text. And yeah, the people who are actually writing from that authentic experience have been shifted to the side and they don't get recognized. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's ultimately it, right? Like, in my opinion, Own Voices isn't about who can and can't do what, but it's about looking at the market and saying, like, is anybody with lived experience given the space to tell their stories? Mm -hmm. When they do, does it reach the kind of height or success that we see when people with more privilege tell the story. And I think Wonder is a really clear example. Yeah. Like, I can't think of an own voices story about disfigurement. Mm -mm. So that's a problem. And yeah, especially, okay, so here's, (laughs) here's, we get to Brenna's general critique of capitalism, but like, (laughs) (laughs) Palacio has, has created this sort of mini empire where are the own voices stories now, right? Mm -hmm. Because surely Wonder is now a platform from which those stories could be encouraged, celebrated, marketed, Mm -hmm. (laughs) amplified under the banner of Wonder, right? Right. But instead we get 365 Days of Wonder, Mr. Brown's Book of Precepts. (laughs) 
Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you and I were super excited to learn that the second film that's going to be made out of the series is Julian's story. So even though we don't give rise to the bully's perspective in Wonder, we're soon going to get a whole movie based on his grandmother's experiences. And oh, good, Brenna, it's dealing with genocide in the Second World War. <laughs> I really just... I just okay so white bird a wonder story will be released this fall i'm absolutely terrorized by the plot synopsis alone which is i'm just gonna read it it's one sentence joe mm-hmm. after the events in wonder bully julian has left school he is visited by his grandmother from paris although in some synopses it says she's french canadian so i guess we'll find out when it comes out he mm. is visited by his grandmother from paris who tells him the stories of her childhood as a young jewish girl living in nazi occupied france during world war ii where she was hidden from the nazis by a classmate and his family starring jillian anderson and helen mirren mm-hmm. joe i don't want this movie to exist <laughs> Absolutely not. And folks, uh, we are covering Wonder now, and we will not be covering White Bird in the fall. No, absolutely not. No one can make us spend time with Julian. No one can make us do that. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. Um, Well, maybe at this point, it's a good time to transition over to the film so we can do a little bit more comparing. Yes, please. Let's. My name is Augie Pullman. Next week, I start fifth grade. And since I've never been to real school before, I'm pretty much totally petrified. I'll see you later. Okay. You don't want to walk up with your parents because it's not cool. But you're cool. I know I am, but technically most dads aren't. Neither are these helmets. Dear God, please make them be nice to him. I know I'm not an ordinary 10-year-old kid. I've had 27 surgeries. They've helped me to breathe, to see, to hear without a hearing aid, but none of them have made me look ordinary. The incubator, bunch of murders. Oh, and this is an eraser. You know what an eraser is, right? Look at his face. I've never seen anything that ugly in my life. If I looked like him, I'd swear. I'd put a hood over my face. I know you don't always like it, but I love it. It's my son's face. You are not ugly, Augie. You just have to say that because you're my mom. Because I'm your mom, it counts the most because I know you the most. So interestingly enough, the film, which comes out in 2017, harkens us as a podcast all the way back to our first episode, Brenna. Because mm-hmm. it is directed by one Stephen Chabowski. Yeah, I, I noticed that. And, you know, Stephen Chbosky, since writing Perks of Being a Wallflower, has really um, moved into direction primarily. Mm-hmm. So I think it's an interesting choice. It's an interesting pickup for him. Yeah, I, I well, I, we'll probably talk about it more. But I, I was struck by that connection for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a level of sentimentality that I can definitely see moving between the two texts. But... Um, Am I allowed to say I don't love this direction for him? Yeah. Well, I mean, this was his stepping stone on the way to Dear Evan Hansen. So, like, <laughs> right. what are you going to do? Yeah. Okay. Another another problematic fate for people. <laughs> and, Joe, I really, um, I remember seeing this film in theaters. So, I, okay. t- I told Joe by text, this was really deep in my... I went to a movie every single week during this period because I had a baby mm-hmm. and... Really strong recommend for people on maternity leave to check out the 
movies with babies in your local cinema because it's mm-hmm. fantastic. They they wheel in like a change table. <laughs> you just get to watch a movie with a bunch of babies. It's awesome. But so I saw pretty much every movie that came out in 2017 in and yeah. 2018 of a certain, like there was, you know, I couldn't go see like action films, but like no. what I think of as like a mid-budget, you know, feel-goodery, mm-hmm. I saw a lot of these. There and I go. do remember, I hadn't read the book, it, I got a lot of tears, right? Like it was, I was on maternity leave watching this movie for God's sake. So mm-hmm. I, so I had some fond memories of the film. Okay. But watching it this time around with a much more critical eye, especially after reading the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't have many of those. Anyway, no. let's go over the cast and then we'll talk. Okay. Yeah. So we have, I'll, I'll maybe save the new elephant in the room for last, but uh, let's let's start with the star power. So we doubled down on recognizable bankable A-list stars with um, Julia Roberts and Owen Wilson as the parents. Uh, notable right off the top, we've got Julia Roberts playing a character who in the book is a person of color. So we're whitewashing mm-hmm. the mother to make this a very kind of affluent, white, feel-good kind of parental situation i mean they are affluent anyway though in the book right like one of the things that palazzo Mm -hmm. has talked about is like she sort of hand waves away questions about how they pay for this gorgeous lifestyle that they have by saying that that nate like works a lot and in later books nate actually becomes chairman of the school board at beecher prep i found out so, but but there is no explanation of the class status of this family whatsoever. None. Yeah, it's basically just they can afford to get Augie what he needs, which in the U.S. I would think would be massively expensive. Uh, yeah, I mean the film makes use of this same visual uh, shorthand over and over again, which is this pan that it does of the wall where uh, Augie keeps all of his hospital admission bracelets mm-hmm. i mean how many times does the movie pan over that bulletin board joe like <sighs> i fell asleep a couple of times yeah <laughs> um and and yet there's absolutely no conversation in either the book or the film about the cost of this and mm-hmm. they live in this massive beautiful brownstone in both book oh and gosh. film the house porn brenna even augie's room is bigger than my apartment Julie Roberts in the film is a stay-at-home mom trying to finish a master's degree. In the book, she's an illustrator. Like, Mm -hmm. there's just no explanation anywhere of how any of this is achieved. And I think, like, it matters, actually. It matters Mm -hmm. a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hello, children with special needs requires an astronomical sum just to to bring them up to the level of everybody else so like Mm -hmm. we're talking specialized equipment in the case of augie we're talking uh, double digit surgeries and like i don't care how good your freaking insurance is one of your parents is completing their masters and is a stay-at-home mom like this would be financially constricting Mm -hmm. absolutely okay sorry we're we're still one cast cast, member in yeah (laughs) So Julia Roberts, Owen Wilson, yay, we can sell this a la Marley and me as a sort of feel good with A-list stars. They are pretty adorable parents, though, I have to say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like... And their chemistry is very cute. Oh, I, in the film, I found they had no chemistry, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I actually think that Julia Roberts is absolutely coasting and Owen Wilson is doing everything he always does. I was completely like, they gave me nothing in this movie at all. <laughs> 
once again, Ria is my favorite character. She's played by Isabella Vidovic, and I was absolutely enraptured by this she's actress. She's super expressive. I think she's doing everything she needs to do to make us care about Via, but also understand Via's situation within this family. Hey, Joe, if you like her and you want to see more of her, mm-hmm. you can watch a little TV show called The Fosters. <laughs> I, I did notice that, and I was waiting <laughs> to see how long it took you to bring it up. <sighs> Best show. Uh, so at school we have mandy patinkin as mr tushman who is the school principal we have david diggs as a inclusion flip teacher mr brown who does all sorts of aspirational precepts that drive home all of the messaging that the kids are supposed to learn and by proxy the audience i would like to say that both of these actors are wonderful and they Mm -hmm. are both in an entirely different movie you mean with material that gives them something to do? Sure. Yeah. Yes. Like, they just seem to be even just performing in a different movie when you do see them. Because mm. they're in a movie that's very much about, like, the possibilities of education. Like, oh, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I was getting a little too kind of Dangerous Minds. Very. That terrible one with Hilary Swank. Like, this is very... Freedom Rider. Thank you. Yes, that is it. Uh, very, you know, genre. oh... If, if we just help the children, they will be the best representation of us and they will guide us into a happy and healthy future, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to give a shout out to Noah Jupe as Jack Will, who is Augie's best friend. I've seen Noah Jupe in the A Quiet Place films. He's the younger oh, brother. Okay. And I actually think that he is really, really good in this movie. Also, he's just an adorable child. My oh, goodness. cute as a button. If I could oh. have that hair in a second. <laughs> very, very cute. And so that brings us to the star of the show, uh, Canadian actor Jacob Tremblay, who has appeared in countless things. He is also a really great actor. The fun thing about Jacob Tremblay is that he is an able-bodied actor, and he is acting under heavy facial prosthetics for this movie. He is not disabled. He has no facial disfigurement, and it was the lightning rod of controversy when this film got announced up through its release. And again, I feel like certain people really talked about it, and a lot of people did not. I, um... I was really troubled by this, so I learned a phrase in my reading up for this episode. So from those same sources that I shared earlier, um, mm-hmm. this term, cripping up, or like taking an able-bodied Ooh, actor. boy, that term. It's a lot, right? But it, yeah. it makes... Purposefully so. I was going to say, I found it a useful term because of how shocking it is. Yes. Because I think that as audiences, we are very, 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 very accustomed to this in Oh, absolutely. Cinema. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And we're very, we have normalized it entirely. So I I found it a useful term for that reason, because it did shock me. This is an example of needing a bankable young actor Mm -hmm. who is going to be trusted with an incredibly um, demanding role, right? Like, yeah. Jacob Tremblay is in every single scene of this movie, Mm -hmm. (laughs) except for maybe one, right? And that means that there is a lot on his shoulders. I was troubled by some of the production discourse that I found around this question of casting. I think this is cited in the Atlantic article, Uh because one of the things that came up was the idea that 
they did actually audition mm-hmm. children with facial differences and facial deformities. They actually did audition children with Treacher-Collins syndrome for this role. Yep. And ultimately, the casting decision was made that these these children couldn't make themselves understood clearly enough. Yep. Um, and this, again, this taps mm-hmm. into a really critical tension at the core of what is troubling to me about both the film and the book, which is... The book and the film want this to be a really easy story, right? So it's easy to include Augie because as every character in the book says at least once, once you get used to looking at him, which is just like awful language that everybody uses. Anyway, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he's he's quote unquote just like everybody else, right? Neither the book nor the film are interested in a vision of inclusion that involves actually having to manage or change status quo expectations. Mm-hmm. And that to me is just, it's just such a missed opportunity for a more nuanced story, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you and I have often struggled with, and I'm going to refer back to any number of our dystopian episodes, is the fact that at the end of the day, especially when you get into the movie or the TV side of the podcast, we are talking about dollar figures. Like Mm -hmm. what we're doing is we are making a product that we need to be able to sell to a mass audience. And this movie cost $10 million and it made $300 million worldwide. So they hedged their bets on saying we want to make entertainment with Julia Roberts that's going to make people feel sad, but also feel better about themselves. Mm -hmm. And we will make bank. And that's exactly what they did. So it's a gamble that paid off. But you're absolutely right. It's a complete missed opportunity to actually explore who these people are as people, Mm. not as inspirations or wonders that we can learn a valuable lesson from and then give a medal to and feel better and go about our everyday. Because the reality is, is like this movie is made for people like you and me. Like, Mm -hmm. it's for able-bodied, middle-class to upper-class white people who just want to feel good about themselves. Yeah, and I'm sorry, I like, I, I went into the movie skeptical. I'm not going to deny that I already had a bias going into this. But the level of, like, emotional manipulation in this movie was off the charts. Like, this movie wanted me to feel and cry and feel good at the end. That I was just like, I'm sorry, this is garbage. I hated the entire process of watching this two-hour movie, Brenna. It's really unnecessary that it's two hours. i was just so frustrated like the minute i saw julia roberts and owen wilson were in this i was like okay i get it you wanted to make money this is the marley and me of child disfigurement stories yep yeah and to be clear it can be done and because i'm I'm not going to stand here and be like well there's no good examples I know it's not exactly the same thing, but because it gets mentioned in a couple of these articles, I'm going to give a shout out to the Mini Driver TV show that was brutally canceled after three seasons called Speechless, and it features a actor with cystic fibrosis who is in a wheelchair as a main character, and the actor is, he has cystic fibrosis and he is in a wheelchair. He is so animated and expressive even though he is non-verbal and that show is a g-damn delight mm-hmm. 
it can be done. The stories can be told. And I think, I think what frustrated me here is that I think the book has good intentions, Mm -hmm. troublesomely executed, which, you know, like I'm a white lady. I live in the world of good intentions, troublesomely (laughs) executed. This is your people, Brenda. (laughs) These are my people. Um, The film to me feels cynical as hell. Like, Mm -hmm. it feels like we know we can spend very little and make a whole lot by pulling some emotional heartstrings and we're not going to do anything hard in the process. No, absolutely not. We're not going to challenge what a leading man looks like. We're not going to, we're not going to do anything like that because we don't have to. And I think that is my frustration with how lauded the film has been. Like, Mm -hmm. It's credited with changing hearts and minds, but it didn't have to do any of the hard work to get that. And that bothers me on a pretty fundamental level. Yeah. So I was in a not great mood having watched this. And again, I will cop to it. Like, I have a cold dead heart. Sure. (laughs) Then I started to read about the release of this film because the gross was astronomical to me. Like, I could not believe how much money this movie made. And then I saw that they marketed it under this be kind auspice and Mm -hmm. they did promotions in schools where children could do good deeds and it would allow them to enter contests for pizza parties and Mm -hmm. that they also apparently trotted out real people with Mm -hmm. facial disfigurements to help promote this film like a bring this person to work kind of day and I found that super offensive. It's troubling to me that you aren't willing to do the work to cast, sort of quote-unquote authentically, but you mm-hmm. are willing to use those yep. bodies in your marketing campaigns. Like, that's what I mean when I say it's cynical. Gross. Like that It's is absolutely disgusting. Hardcore cynical. And, um, yeah, I just... Uh, Mm-hmm. I think this is the kind of movie that you can watch if you don't know anything about anything. Like, right. if you haven't read the book, you don't know the backstory, as I did when I watched this. Right. Yeah, you know, I watched it, and I cried a lot at the theater, and mm-hmm. I ate my popcorn and hot dog for lunch, which was just a really important part of my life when right. I was on maternity leave, and I went <laughs> home. And I can totally see, I can see why people like it, because yeah. I liked it in that context. And I think that this is why it's so important to read, write, publish, seek critics who have the lived experience of the story that you're watching. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that Own Voices is as much about allowing the space for critique and challenge as it is about the text themselves. And I learned a lot from the sources that you and I consulted for this week's show. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things that I appreciated the most, aside from that, was actually a video. It's kind of like a, almost like a Jimmy Fallon, like, mean tweets, except that it's questions that you wouldn't ask a person with a facial disfigurement in real life. So it's like, very candid, you know, hey, can you get a regular job? Can you do this? Like, It's kind of like a human library, except, of course, it's just available on the internet so everybody can watch it. But it allows real people to Mm -hmm. present themselves and and be characters in their own lives as opposed to having to rely on Hollywood to get it right. Mm -hmm. I love the sort of crowdsourcing 
ability of the internet to not only push back against this less than representation, but also to to give rise to own voices in a way that gives them agency. Because that is the other thing that I kind of really didn't like very much about this whole book is that it frequently paints Augie as a person who isn't living their own lives. Like he's just reacting to things that other people do so that people can learn an important lesson. Like he doesn't have the agency that I would hope for in a book that is tackling disability and otherness. Yeah, it's, um, book is actually ultimately very patronizing of (laughs) Augie in a way that I found like legitimately upsetting. (laughs) Reading it made me feel uncomfortable often because yeah, it's exactly that. It's the world happens to and at Augie. Yeah. And some of that is explained in the sections that Via narrates about this sort of, you know, she has this great metaphor that like the family revolves around the sun, just Mm -hmm. like the earth revolves around the sun. You know what I mean? Like it's clever. And Uh She's right, and it pulls at all these threads about sort of the self-involvement and Augie's inability to see the needs of other people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But again, we don't get enough. We don't get enough of Mm -hmm. any of that, and Augie doesn't get to take any kind of action. He's sent to school, right? He's sent on this nature reserve thing. He's like, everything just happens at him. Yeah, bad things happen to him. It's frustrating. Yeah. I just wanted more. Mm-hmm. And I wanted a different kind of story. I wanted Augie to be allowed to be complicated and messy. And he's just not allowed. Yeah. No. He has to just be good. And, um, yeah. Mm, eh. Yeah, th- this was a big old pile of meh. And I will say I'm really happy that both the book and the film have seemingly had a positive impact on providing a an outlet for dialogue and discussion and shining a light on people with facial disfigurement so that they can start to tell their own stories or people at least understand oh hey these are real people too and you should treat them with more than just kindness but like an actual human being so if nothing else really happy that wonder has done that as i read in a couple of these critics though this is not a text that i care to revisit and i won't actively be encouraging people to seek it out. I think it's one of those things where wonder is a really necessary first step Hmm. that everyone is treating as a final word. (laughs) Yeah, this is the breakthrough in what should be an ongoing conversation. This is not the final word. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Should we bingo it? Let's bingo this. Bingo! Not a good bingo. All right. What have you got? Okay. I'm going to give coincidental classes for the precepts. Uh-huh. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for basically everything David Dix does in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also an inclusion flip, so we can notch that one off. Yep. And we've got a road trip if we take the nature preserve trip. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to give a shout out to Filmed in the Territory, now known as Canada. Uh, a lot of <laughs> oh, my the- gosh. <laughs> What? No, it's just like the minute I saw it, I was like, well, this is the most Canadian thing I've ever seen. (laughs) I really love the version of New York that lives in the imaginations of location scouts that makes Mm -hmm. them think Vancouver looks literally anything like any part of New York ever. (laughs) So classic. It's so wild to me. Um, I think we've got to call it an inauthentic voice. Yeah, sadly. And also ableism. Definitely. Um... 
I'm going to give a, uh, a shout out to Good Friendships. I actually do like the friendship arc that um, Augie and Jack go through. Mm-hmm. I think it's honest. And one of the things that we've talked about on the show is a not enough representations of like change, fluctuation, friendship, breakup, yeah. like those kinds of issues that kids go through. So I really, mm-hmm. I do like it for that. I, yeah, like we've, we really not talked about Jack or the other friend who is dominant, especially in the book, less so in the film, but Summer, mm-hmm. who is another inclusion flip also. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I like the friendship between these kids. And I like the fact that it has rocky roads and that Jack honestly says something legitimately terrible and then feels legitimately terrible about it. And has to wear it for a while, right? Yeah. Like oftentimes when you see those kinds of bullying narratives, it's resolved very quickly or never. This this felt honest to me. Especially in the book. In the film, it didn't. It felt like it passed in a heartbeat and then they were yeah. friends again. Whereas in the book, yeah, it's months past. And I really appreciated that. Agreed. Um, I think we've got to give a stunt casting to Julia Roberts and Owen Wilson. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. If you want to ask how this movie made $300 million, it's called Julia Roberts. Yeah, I mean, they must have just spent most of the budget on her salary. Surely. <laughs> well, I mean, she she may have said, oh, I'm willing to do this inspirational movie for less money than usual because I believe in the material. But yeah, uh, you don't get you don't get the Roberts for cheap. And Joe and I have both talked about house porn. The mm-hmm. brownstone that they live in Ooh. is wild. Like wild. It's one of the most luxurious without being a luxury home homes we have seen on the show and it's mm-hmm. the fact that it just gets both in the book and the movie no explanation whatsoever i know i keep saying it but it's wild yeah i thought it was interesting that obviously the the biggest criticisms of both texts is the fact that there's you know an authentic voice that we're not doing a good job of you know, representation in the casting for the film with Jacob Tremblay. But also, I I really appreciated that a lot of the activists who were writing Mm -hmm. critical pieces about this were saying things like, where are the conversations about class? And also, where's the inclusion of LGBTQ? And -hmm. I know that we can't ask every text to include it. But if you're gonna set something (laughs) in Manhattan, Mm -hmm. if you're gonna set something in New York, it's kind of like, okay, well... So we're we're just going to pretend that it's like everybody is mostly white and affluent. Okay, cool, cool. I'm also going to say dead family for both the dog and the grandma. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my final one is the chosen one. I was going to ask if we were going to try to call it a chosen one narrative. Feels like one. 100% because it's like this beacon of light came into everybody's lives and everybody learned something really important as a result. And I'm sorry if I sound super condescending and really cynical. I've been trying to kind of keep it in check for most of this episode, but I just found these texts so like inspiration porn is the Mm -hmm. subtitle for this one because it is all about making other people feel good who have done absolutely nothing to make themselves better. I hate that. It's always bad when your inspiration is coming on the back of or at the cost of the humanity of a marginalized character. And that is what happens here. Augie has to be a model minority for everyone else to feel inspired by him, right? Mm -hmm. Augie never gets to snap. Augie yells one time in the whole movie. Like, I've found that aspect of it the most frustrating. 
Mm-hmm. And of course, it's at his perfect family. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, like, I, I wanted him to be the one to hit Julian. Oh, I wanted him to be the one to hit Julian so bad. <laughs> also, shout out to that, that kid actor who plays Julian because he has a very punchable face. Oh, wow. That's another reason why there's no way we can do White Bird, Joe. I'm not going to look at that face for another two hours. <laughs> well, it's Absolutely also going to be like not. eight years older. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, this is this is, this is is Helen Mirren, and I feel awful saying it, but remember that movie we watched where she was a leprechaun? Oh, my gosh. That was Judy Dench, but yeah. Oh, see, I can't tell them apart. Okay, <laughs> never mind. My point collapses. You have facial blindness for old white ladies. And old white guys, in fairness. It's a gender neutral thing. Okay, okay, okay. So all this to say, we did quite well, and we did come out with a bingo line. Yay! The movie finally did something right. Ah, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Let's move on. Yeah, let's let's not. Okay, so, Joe, Mm -hmm. what are we doing next week that isn't this? Uh, well, uh, next week we are going to do a little bit of TV, but this is your pick. So I'm actually going to ask you to introduce what exactly is Back to 15. I am excited about this. So Back to 15, it's a Brazilian TV series. All of a sudden, Netflix has figured out that I like teen stories Mm -hmm. from around the world. And so my recommendations have recently just exploded. Nice. Yeah, I know. It's totally great. So this is very much in the vein of 13 going on 30. This is the story of a 30-year-old woman who travels back in time to when she was 15. (laughs) And she has the opportunity to fix the things she screwed up in her first year of high school. Oh, fun. Like a, almost like being Erica, only a little bit younger. Yes, totally. And it takes place in rural Brazil. I'm super excited. The protagonist is like an extremely online 2006 like nerd. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm very excited to see where this series goes. So yeah, okay. that's what we're going to check out. We'll watch the first couple of episodes and uh, and see what we think. Okay, cool, cool. Mm-hmm. And folks, if you want to read ahead to our next full length episode, uh, we are going to keep the international Netflix YA vibe alive. We're finally, finally checking out Heartstopper, which is now a Netflix TV show, but also a comic series by Alice Oseman. Oh, oh, Joe Heartstopper. I've read the whole series, all four volumes. Obviously, I think we're only doing the first one, right? Um, I'm so, 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 so excited to see this series. I just, (laughs) I need it to be good, though. So my expectations and hopes are like, sky high. (laughs) Yeah, folks, we're recording this well in advance. So unfortunately, you may have already checked this out. Uh, We have not. So fingers crossed that it turned out as good as we want it to be. And then finally, we have so much to talk about. Uh, Hopefully you're also reading along for Book Club, which is coming up at the end of June. And Brenna, um, this is going to be the most racy we ever get on the podcast. So we are reading and also watching for the first time in Book Club history, because this is an adaptation. We're going to be reading Wetlands and also watching the accompanying film. And just content advisory for younger folks. This is a little more sexually explicit. Yeah, it's probably the most sexually explicit thing we've done ever by a country mile. So Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. This was a listener recommendation and uh, definitely interested to see what gets banned elsewhere. Yeah. So, uh, Brenna, if they want to talk about any of these things coming up, if they want to defend wonder, if they want to respond to wetlands, how would they get in touch? Yes. So if you want to write about wetlands or you've got something long form to send us, you can email us hkhspod at gmail.com. If you've got something shorter or you want to send us some spoiler free feelings about Heartstopper, I'd be very, very into that. <laughs> um, you can find us at hkhspod or on the hashtag hkhspod. Joe, where do they find you? I can be reached at remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. So you have a lot to read. You have a lot to watch. Go do your homework. And (laughs) I will see you on the page. Indeed. And I will see you on the screen. And, and that was, I think, the thing I struggled most with this book, is that this book is just, you know, because the reality is, is like, in the case of Wonder, we're black. I am excited about this, but I'm going to open the Wikipedia so I don't say anything wrong. Give me one second. Fair enough, fair enough. If they want to respond to wetlands about wetlands, how would they get in touch? Hang on, I can let this herd of elephants stop stomping for a second. All this to say, uh, despite doing relatively well, the numbers, the stars, did not align, so we do not get a bingo line. You gotta be kidding me. Oh, sorry, we do, actually. Never mind. Let me take that again.